this is the media majors podcast. Stop singing. Stop singing with your feet. This is media majors. I'm Liam Senior. This is Tom Lockney. Tom, Jesus Christ. This is the this is the this is the theme. This is gonna be the theme of the podcast and you are singing over it. This is media majors. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Media Majors, a podcast about major media. I'm your co-host, <laughs> That's Tom Lockney. That is not <laughs> what this podcast is. That major me. Well, I guess. Yeah. I'm. I'm your other co-host, Liam Senior. Uh, my actual last name. Yep. And we don't have anyone else because all podcasts must have at least two white guys in it, yep. or the, uh, the PPN the Podding Podcast Network comes over and stabs you in the neck. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those felony hires. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I've killed the, <laughs> the guy. The podcast has a great felony uh, outreach program, which is I don't know why Orange Is the New Black doesn't do a season about that. What do we do on this podcast, Tom? We talk about we, each of us takes a turn to tell a story from our preferred medium i'm into video games i'm into being a dick about movies and tvs yeah and and we, the shows not like how they're made <laughs> and we really and we talk to each other about it and we riff on it and talk and have a conversation each one of us has researched a true story uh and we're trying to blow the other one's mind yep. with it uh it's a very simple concept and and Liam's gonna go first this week. Yeah, should we just jump in? Yeah, let's, let's just do jump it. in. Dive into the deep right. end. No floaties. Ruth Elizabeth Betty Davis was born April fifth, nineteen oh eight, in Lowell, Massachusetts. Uh, she's regarded as one of the greatest actresses in Hollywood history, and was noted for her willingness to play unsympathetic, sardonic characters. And she could do any type of genre: noir, comedies. But she was mostly known for her roles in romantic dramas. Uh, in 1930, Betty Davis moved from Massachusetts to Hollywood just to screen test for Universal. Uh, she'd lived a little bit in New York uh, as a theater actress with her mom and was like, I want to do that. She saw theater with her mom and was like, that's what I want to do. She traveled by train to Hollywood, arriving on December 13th, 1930, and she recounted her surprise that nobody from the studio was there to meet her. A studio employee had waited for her, but left because he saw nobody who looked like an actress. Ooh. Yeah, she failed her first screen test, but she was used uh, in like to test other actors because she was not like actress looking. And this mm. was in the '30s, so this is back when it was oh, like yeah. movies were just men in hats. You had to look even more the same than people do now. So she got a lot of bit parts and appeared in 20 films, and was basically like, "All right, I've done enough. I want my own role." And she starred in the RK Radio production of of Human Bondage. And this was her first critical acclaim, and then afterwards people were like, holy shit, she plays women that, like, actresses don't want to play. She plays, like, bitter, resentful, mean women who are, like, ugly on the inside but beautiful on the outside. Mm. She tried to get out of her contract with Warner Brothers, because back in those days, uh, actors and actresses would sign a contract with a studio and then only make movies for that studio. But she was like, no one would let her have another main role, so she filmed movies in Britain and uh, had to flee to Canada to avoid legal stuff. Oh, no, she got out of her contract in Warner Brothers and then went back because uh, they realized the mistake they made and started putting her in lead roles. And soon she mm. became the WB girl. She was the golden girl for WB. Power play. So, part two. 
Joan Crawford was born Lucille Faye Lasseur in San Antonio, Texas on March 23rd. The year is disputed, uh, with 1904, 1905, and 1906 being the most likely est uh, estimates. Uh, she was the third child of Thomas E. Sewer and Annabelle Johnston. Uh, no one knows when her parents were born or where they came from. So there's not a lot of known about her. Crawford's mother married a guy <laughs> named Henry J. Casson. The marriage is listed in census records as Crawford's mother's first marriage, which is not true at all. Or it might not be true. No one knows. Um, Henry J. Casson was his name. He was accused of, of uh, embezzlement and was acquitted in court but became blacklisted, moved the family to Kansas City, and then uh, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, and then basically just threw all the kids into boarding school and went, and goodbye, and fucked off. Classic, classy move, classy move. Later, kids. So Lucille, uh, who would become Joan Crawford, she was Lucille Lasser. she began dancing and traveled around in Detroit until she was spotted, uh, just like dan doing dance shows, until we spot she was spotted by producer Jacob J. Schubert. Uh, her first film as Lucy Lasser was Lady of the Night. She was the body double for MGM's most popular female star of the time, Norma Shear. And she immediately, like, people were like, she's going to be a star. She's going to be a star. But they hated her name. So she decided to go with Joan Arden. But another actress has already had that name. So then she decided to choose Crawford because uh, the name sounded like crawfish, and she liked the security with the name. So these are both kind of loony women a little bit. Like, one's like, I'm gonna call myself crawfish, and the other, like, goes to Hollywood and is like, where's the studio? Why aren't they here to take me away? But, uh, Joan Crawford worked really, really hard, and in, like, five years, she became the sex symbol for MGM, and was, like, known for using her sexuality, a thing that was like, oh my god, how dare she have breasts? What? This is absurd. Good lord, I can see her ankles. Her ankles! Those eyebrows! <laughs> I'm aroused, and I'm not married to her. So they are both at the top of their games. And then Betty Davis met Franchot Tone. She starred alongside Tone in the 1935 film Dangerous, mm. which she was also nominated for her first Academy Award, and she fell instantly in love with him, but, like, professionally. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and they were, they were having a little bit of an affair, Oh. And then Joe Crawford... So not professionally, in fact. Categorically well, not professionally. Well, hold on, hold on. Neither of them were married, so but it was like a private romance uh, on set. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. But wait, so Joan Crawford, who had just gotten divorced from like one of her husbands... There's a lot of husbands. Yeah, like you do. Yeah, like you do. Uh, so she, she was on the prowl, and she <laughs> apparently... Invited Franchot Tone over for dinner, only to greet him naked in her solarium. And Franchot was hooked immediately. Wow, I mean, I, you know what? I would be too! <laughs> hey! That's a bold move! Yeah. So, Betty Davis was pissed, and Joan made sure that people knew that she was now sleeping with Franchot. And then they mm. got married! This kind of, like, was the thing that sort of began their, the Joan Crawford-Betty Davis feud. Of course, it's, like, over a dude. And they had, like, previously butted heads over dudes before, but, like, I couldn't find the exact... Like, it was just I thought that was alleged. Yeah, but... I mean, that sounds like a terrible circumstance to get married under. Like, hey, hey, you were sleeping with that other woman? Let's check up. 
this would not be Joan Crawford's last husband. Okay. He would be hanging out with Betty Davis on set, leave for lunch, and then come back, like, with lipstick stains on his collars after meeting up with Joan. Oh, God. Wow. Then they started to snipe about each other publicly. Oh, good. I love shit like that. Mmm. Give me the juice. Uh, because, especially because Joe Crawford divorced Tone, like, two years later. <laughs> Betty Davis looked down on Crawford as a shallow mannequin with eyebrows like African caterpillars, while she was a serious theater-trained performer. She also called into question Joan's reputation with the opposite sex, or as she put it, she slept with every male star at MGM except Lassie. Ew! Yeah, well, she didn't sleep with Lassie. But she could've. But Crawford was no kinder. Poor Betty, she tutted. She looks like she's never had a happy day or night in her life. In 1943... <laughs> I know, right? savage! So in 1943, uh, <laughs> Joan Crawford <laughs> left MGM and signed on to Warner Brothers, where her and Betty Davis had dressing rooms right next door to each other. Oh, that's awesome. That had to have been done intentionally. Oh, of course. Well, eventually, Davis became the bigger star at Warner Brothers and overtaking um, Crawford. So I could only find this in some sources, but apparently Crawford tried to bury the hatchet and win Davis over, sending her flowers and gifts. But Davis uh, would return them all and then started to spread rumors about Joan Crawford being a lesbian. Mm. So it got worse. Wow, that's especially for back in the day. Jesus. Yeah. And things got even weirder. Crawford won an Academy Award for Mildred Pierce, which is a part Davis turned down. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So they would just snipe and snipe and snipe, and they had to sit to, and they like they were both successful and just basically edging for who'd be number one. Robert Burgess Aldrich, born August 9th, 1918, was an American film director, writer, and producer, and he's considered to make some of the best films ever. He made Kiss Me Deadly. The Flight of the Phoenix, The Longest Yard, The Dirty Dozen, oh, okay. Hush Hush, Hush Hush Sweet Starlet, and a little movie called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which was released in 1962. So by 62, they were not star- uh, Crawford and Betty Davis were not stars anymore. Yeah. Their best days were behind them. They'd won a couple awards under their belt, uh, but you know couldn't really couldn't really get it together now that they were kind of older. And Aldrich loves. Uh, the glamour of 30s Hollywood. He he had a, made a career of like getting old school A-list actresses to be in his movies. Um, so he made the movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. So Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is about two former sis- two sisters who are formal former child stars. Uh, well, one of them is Jane Hudson is, and then Blanche is not famous and is neglected. Okay. Uh, it's set in '62 where. Blanche is Joan Crawford, so she's the non-famous sister. She's in a wheelchair, and she's being looked after by Jane, Betty Davis, and they live together. Joan Crawford came up with the idea after reading the book and pitched it to Davis. So then Davis read the book, and she just wanted to play Jane. She wanted to play the famous one. Mm. She didn't want to play the one in the wheelchair. And then Aldrich uh, was so flabbergasted that he casted them both. Uh, Betty Davis famously asked when Crawford came to her two questions. Can I play Jane? And are you sleeping with Crawford? <laughs> she asked the director. He was not. Wow. That's forward. So it during, well, it's during the filming of the movie that their rivalry reached bitch-level shade-throwing uh, proportions. Oh, fuck yeah. In 55, Joan Crawford uh, was married to the CEO of Pepsi. His name was Alfred Steele. So she guess. was still married. Yeah, they're still married. They had still married. He died in 59, but I think filming took a while, so they were still married while they were filming. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Betty Davis made a big, big point in getting a Coke machine installed in her dressing room. <laughs> Crawford started sending little gifts and notes to the crew to win their affection, and Davis sent her a note telling her to get off the crap. Wow. They both would call the director nightly to complain about the other. Oh my god, that poor guy. Davis used to talk loudly about that phony cunt within Crawford's earshot. Whoa! It gets Whoa! better. It gets better. That is so not cool. Joan Crawford brought uh, brought this project to Betty Dave. It it's insane. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. It's, 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 we'll talk about how much like Joe. All right, like I have there is a winner and a loser in this in this feud, oh. and it is unfortunate how things turn oh, out. No. Okay, because like one of them is much meaner to the other one. I think. For the scene where Jane beats Blanche, so that's where Betty Davis has to beat Joan Crawford. <laughs> Crawford was legitimately concerned that Betty Davis would actually hurt her and asked for a body double. This fucking movie! Oh, God. There was, there was a close-up that the body double, unfortunately, could not be used for. Oh, no. And when it was filmed, Davis did clip Crawford's head. Oh, no. Crawford screamed in the filming stop. I barely touched her, said Davis unapologetically and also like a six-year-old. <laughs> People even claimed that she hit Crawford so bad Crawford needed uh, needed stitches. Oh my god, what the fuck? The following fuck? week, Crawford took her revenge. Oh yes! Oh no, actually. During the scene where Jane drags Blanche out of bed and across the room, Crawford, knowing that Davis suffered back problems, made herself as heavy as possible by putting tons of rocks in her pocket. <laughs> the director was in on it and wanted Betty Davis to suffer. <laughs> she, some even say she wore a special weightlifter's belt. Oh my god. Like one of those like bulletproof vest things? Oh my no, god. No, no, like a champion's, like, the weight, like a weightlifter's belt. Um, oh. and when, uh, see, she even, she even spoiled one take by stopping to cough halfway through. <laughs> when the filming was finished, Davis was screaming in agony and Crawford strolled back to her dressing room. Oh my god, that is vicious. You know, there is, there is something beautiful that we've lost as time has gone by where you can't just, like, viciously fuck with an enemy anymore. Betty Davis said the best time I ever had with Joan was when I pushed her down some stairs and whatever happened to Baby Jane. Holy shit! I've seen Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. By the way, it's fucking amazing. Because these are two women. And other on set, they were always on time. They always remembered their lines. They were great. Yeah, they've been doing they were great. Years, Just hated each other. But this is the best. Jesus so, Betty Davis was nominated for an Oscar for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Joan Crawford was not. So before the Oscar ceremonies, Crawford contacted the four other Best Actress nominees... Who I think it was like Catherine Hepburn and Bancroft. Like it was a it was it was stacked. Yeah. So and she and Bancroft was one of them. And Joan Crawford made a deal with all four women that if they won over Davis, even though Davis was rumored to be the victor, that Joan Crawford would take would um, take the award for them. So she would get up and, and do their speech for them. Whoa. All four actresses agreed. Whoa. And Bancroft won. For the miracle worker. Betty Davis didn't win. Mm -hmm. So when the winner's name was read out, Betty Davis was surprised that it wasn't her. However, was uh, flabbergasted when Joan Crawford pushed by her saying, excuse me, I have an Oscar to collect, and stole the limelight from her once again. Shit. That is fucking 
I almost dropped dead, gasped Betty. I was paralyzed with shock. To deliberately upstage me like that, her behavior was despicable. Yeah! They were supposed to work again in a sort of follow-up called Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, also a great movie. Mm -hmm. And it was going to star, you know, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Uh, But Joan Crawford quit after four days. She was ill. Uh, The rumor is is that she got so paranoid about being upstaged and about Betty Davis getting revenge that she couldn't work on the movie. So she left. She was replaced with Olivia de Havilland. Um, I think uh, Betty Davis is also nominated again for Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. She's really good at it. Wow. So, that's basically the end of the feud, so let's see what happened to him. In 1962, Betty Davis became the first person to secure 10 Academy Award nominations for acting. Only four people have made that or surpassed it. Meryl Streep, Katherine Hepburn, Jack Nicholas, Laurence Olivier. So she's set. In 1977, Davis became the first woman to be honored with the AFI Life Achievement Award. In 99, the Film Institute put her as, like, the second greatest actress of all time behind Katherine Hepburn. In 1983, after filling a pilot episode, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and underwent surgery and died uh, six years later and still put out movies and TV shows Holy every year. Holy shit. Her final performance, apparently, she was riddled with pain, but she's, she's supposed to be very good in it. Uh, she also smoked 100 cigarettes a day even when she was with, uh, having cancer. Oh, my God. So she's a badass bitch. Yeah, holy shit. Uh, she had a terrible relationship with her daughter, who she allegedly abused. Oh. The daughter became a born-again, and this completely ruined the relationship trying to convert her. However, she was still uh, on good terms with her other two children. She mm-hmm. died in 89. She was 81. Wow. Crawford, after her husband's death, uh, the CEO of Pepsi, she was basically b- brought in as a replacement and was on the board until uh, 73. She continued to act, but, like, you know, as she got older, like, couldn't find good roles, Mm -hmm. wasn't getting a lot of offers. And uh, in 1970, she retired. She made one more public appearance in 74, but uh, the photographs, she didn't like them, so she became a total recluse and, like, lived in her very tiny apartment. In 77, she gave up her beloved Shih Tzu, Princess Lotus Blossom. Oh, my God. Fuck, yeah. to care for it. Um, And then listen to this. So... Crawford bequeathed to her two youngest children, Cindy and Kathy, 77500 each from her $2 million estate. She explicitly disherited the two eldest, Christina, who we'll get into, and Christopher, writing, It is my intention to make no provision herein for my son Christopher or for my daughter Christina, for reasons which are well known to them. She also bequeathed nothing to her niece and the only child of her estranged brother. Uh, she left a bunch of money to her charities instead. And she died in 1977. Mm. So, apparently... Apparently. Uh, Christina Crawford was a victim of child abuse during her mother's battle with alcoholism. Christina Crawford uh, was adopted. She wrote a whole book about it called Mommy Dearest. Uh, this very famous tell-all book uh, that basically just said that Joan Crawford was a whore and would have people come over to her parents that she would call uncle... Uh, she had affairs with men and with women. Uh, she became crazy and recluse and was physically abusive and emotionally abusive and yell at her and all this crazy stuff. Jesus. Um, she also would strap her brother into his bed because he would sleepwalk. Uh, there's a very famous scene. So they made a movie about Mommy Dearest with Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Mm-hmm. Faye Dunaway is one of my favorite actresses. And there's a, f- a famous scene, the coat hanger scene. Oh, no. Not like that. Okay. Oh. Basically, she discovers Christina is hanging uh, coats in a closet on wire hanger instead of 
uh, high-quality padded hangers, and then she, like, freaks out and, like, no, coat hangers! Um, so, apparently, Joan Crawford was fucking crazy. Yeah. As was Betty Davis. And that is their feud. So, so Ryan Murphy, who a lot of people uh, may not know, he's the creator of Glee, American Horror Story, Nip Tuck, um, oh, God, um, Scream Queens, which is great, and he was the director and helped produce American Crime Story. And because of American Crime Story, which is fucking amazing, and probably the reason I won't do an OJ episode, just because, just go watch American Crime Story, Mm -hmm. um, he's making a show called Feud, about famous feuds, and the first one is going to be about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, with Jessica Lange playing Joan Crawford and Susan Sarandon playing Betty Davis. Yes! It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Oh, that's going to be amazing! So, yeah, get ready for that. And that's my story. That is the story of Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. Holy shit. One of my shit. favorite, favorite stories about Shade. Can you imagine you're at the Oscars, you lose, and your enemy, who wasn't <laughs> even nominated, takes the Oscar just to fuck with you. That's so just to fuck with vicious. you. I mean, I, I think, uh, like, a lot of people have had... Have you ever had a feud? Have you ever had a feud with somebody? Not really. I had a roommate. I had a roommate whose crimes I'm not going to detail because they're not my... Oh, right. You told me about this motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, that guy should... Yeah, he broke the law. Yeah, he should be in prison. Um, I would... Because, because nobody was doing fucking anything about this total monster, I would quietly take his things and, like, throw them away or throw them out the window... Yeah. I, like, threw out a bunch of his mason jar. The statute of limitations on this is probably settled. I threw out his mason jars. He stole a sign from a from a local restaurant, um, and I took that from him and gave it to somebody. Uh, I threw his... I threw two pairs of his, like, very expensive boots down the garbage chute. He never saw those again. Uh, he bought a $30 bottle of olive oil... And I just dropped it out the window of the seventh story. Yeah, fuck this guy. He was an absolute monster. He was a criminal. For the listeners, Tom wasn't being a dick. He was like a legit criminal. He was a, he was a criminal. He's a danger to women. He's a horrible person. I think that should let you guys figure out what, what he was a criminal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah, uh, fuck that dude. Do you, do you want to hear... Would you like to hear my story? Are you ready for my story? I would love to hear your story. Okay. Uh, I, I would like to... How much do you know about Richard Lord British Garriott de Caillou? <laughs> Wait, de Caillou? Yeah, yeah. Like the show? It's French. Uh, D-E. So I think so is Caillou, the show about the kid with leukemia. <laughs> Not about that, but he's bald. See? Uh, I, I know nothing about this guy. Who is A- this masked man? Y-E-U-X. What, there, he is he is uh, one of the most influential people in video games of 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 all time uh, of all time and and this was just as much a journey through my ignorance as as it was anybody else's because he's he's the old blood this guy this guy was like 80s 90s big into that 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 realm of game design when when it was the fucking Wild West when shit was... It was a frontier. Um, so, to begin, he's born on July 4th, 1961. No, no. Yes. In uh, Cambridge, England. 
but uh, is uh, he is a dual citizenship. He moved at like two months old to America. He lived in Texas for most of his life. So the first the first interesting bit that you might have a question about is why is he called Lord British? Uh, because he's not a lord, and nor is he British. <laughs> technically, he's, he's technically technically American. he's a British citizen, but he's also an American citizen. In his teens, attended a summer camp for you know it was a computer camp like you do. And some kids said, hi. And he said, hello. And they said, oh, hello is the thing that British people say. We're going to call you British. Weird. Like, like if I said, hola, people wouldn't call me Spanish. Like, hey, Spanish, how's it going? Uh, the Lord was added on after he was a dungeon master for one of their D&D games. And, mm. uh, and then uh, the full title, Lord British, actually made its way into uh into the dnd world into no into his games he he developed yeah. if i don't know if you've heard of ultima nope oh wait yeah i'll i'll get into ultima but now um lord british essentially made its way into those games as as a near invincible uh player character or not a player character um as a near invincible character that you would have to kill in ways uh, by thinking outside of the box, uh, and now and this was in in tabletop games, yeah. No, this is in this is. Oh no, in video games. Yes, this is in this is in full ass computer ass games, uh, and, and and that has birthed the the Lord British postulate, which states, if it exists as a living creature in an MMORPG, someone somewhere will try to kill it. Which is a just a fun little thing that I like. One of the nicer rules of the internet. Yes. Most of his life up until he's 18 is like, mm -hmm. you know, pretty standard. Like, you're a kid, you're doing kid stuff. And then we get into the part where it goes, holy fucking shit, I had no idea how influential this guy was. He just started kind of dicking around, making games for like Apple systems. His first uh, video game that got picked up is called Akalabeth World of Doom, which is Love it. a fucking 80s ass 80s uh it was released in 1979 by him Holy and shit. then published by the now defunct california pacific computer company for the apple ii in 1980 wow it is he he did this as a hobby this was just like a thing that he did on the side uh well not to not to go on a tangent but i actually i learned this uh, when i was in vegas i learned this fact um so back in the before uh cell phones and shit you had to make long-distance calls, it cost a lot. You had to do it stay, you know, out of state to make a call would be a lot. So they had these little black boxes that could do that, and then people in the 70s would figure out ways to hack the black boxes. It was all AT&T, it was the only phone company. Hack the black boxes and make free long-distance calls. So AT&T figured that out, they found the people, and they'd show up at their house and say, Hey, we're AT&T, we know what you've been doing, so you have two choices. Go to jail, and this is a felony, uh, statewide. Or come work for us. <laughs> wow. And they treated them well. Employment they paid them by a lot extortion. Like, yeah, I dig they, it. It's like uh, in in when they when they built the first Walmart, they got a, a Las Vegas casino architect to help them build it because in a Las Vegas casino there are no windows and there are no clocks. So they want you they and they make sure that you are not aware of what time it is. And Walmart wants wanted that. Interesting. And it worked. Yeah. And it worked. Shady business, man, but it works. Anyways. So Calabeth is this 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 hobbyist project that he does on the side, and it comes out, and it is 
the earliest, one of the earliest known examples of a role-playing video game, but also the very first uh, role-playing video game to ever be published. And the way that it got published was fucking nuts. How'd it get published? He basically just, a friend of his said, hey, like, this game's really good. You could probably sell it. And so he just sold it in Ziploc bags. And, and he sold uh, a, a very few copies, but one of those copies made their way to, to California Pacific. And they were like, hey, dude, this shit's good. We'll sell your game for you. They, he sold 30,000 copies for five bucks, of, and he got five bucks of that profit. And so already 18, what is, what is that? I'm bad at math. Like $150,000? So wait, he, it was 30,000... Thirty thousand copies. Thirty thousand copies. Five bucks. Five bucks a copy for him. Yeah, one hundred and fifty thousand. That's fucking nuts. Eighteen. He was eighteen. He was eighteen years of age while attending university. Or no, no, no. He's not attending university yet. He's just a fucking kid. He's, He's just a, a kid, kid doing child. this. Ugh. If I have a son, I'm gonna force him to get into coding. Then, then. Dad's daddy's <laughs> dreams didn't come true, Peter. So you gotta make sure I don't end up in a home. Oh no, no, no! You have to name your kid Liam. So that way his name is Liam. Shut the fuck Senior up. Junior. We are not putting that joke on this goddamn podcast. <laughs> the Liam Senior Junior fucking joke. <laughs> who are you? The good guy at Guitar Center who I yelled at for making that joke? I once walk, walk into my film history class and this girl who I've only known for two weeks, it's like tiny freshman, is like, hey Liam, if you named your kid and I just look, I turned to her and I just went, shut the fuck up. Do not even come close to finishing that fucking sentence. Hey, guess what? I'm not gonna fucking name my kid Liam. Because I don't want him to be stabbed to death by me. So pissed when people make that joke. Because everyone's like, oh, I bet you never heard this one before. I fucking hear it every day of my fucking life! Guy at Guitar Center! Okay. How do you have four ear gauge piercings? You have two ears! Also, I'd like to buy that book of Jimi Hendrix tabs <laughs> while I'm here. Uh, <laughs> Actually, in Vegas, someone said, ah, oh, Senior, that's a name that gets better with age. And I turned to that person, I said, it's the fucking best joke anyone's name made about my name. I want to shake your hand, sir. And I did. Anyways, continue. So then, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Then Dick goes to the University of Texas. And while he's there... Sorry, Lord British? Yes, Lord British. Uh, Lord British here. Lord Hello, British I don't want to give India back. Goes to the U of T, and he just... University of Toronto, eh? Uh, and he creates Ultimo. So he's Lord British, the American British student studying in Canada. I'd like to go to the three whitest countries I can, please. <laughs> he creates Ultima 1, which is this... It's It's... A fucking crazy influential for just the RPG genre as it is. But also, it's the first open world video game ever. Ever. He releases this in uh in in, in nineteen eighty one. In nineteen eighty one Super Mario Brothers. It's one fucking year after he releases a Calabat. Jesus Christ on us. He's 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 a he's a machine. 
seriously. Fuck, man. He coins the term massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And, you know, you know, that that term that births, like, you know, one of the most profitable, successful games of all time. That's like Drake making up YOLO in one of his dumb Drake songs. (laughs) Um, And you'd think, you'd think that such an acclaimed, uh, influential figure would be treated by respect by the company that hired him, right? You know, treated no. with respect and dig- dignity, some poise. Uh, after after his tenure at uh, EA... Hey, Tom, where's your other shoe? Oh, that's right, it's about to drop. <laughs> he joins NCSoft in 2001. <laughs> NCSoft? Yes, it's a North Korean-based... That's... <laughs> It's a North. Do they think Korea is spelled with a C? <laughs> North Korea. Um, no, North Korea soft. Uh, How soft is the toilet paper? Well, it's North Korea soft. That doesn't sound very soft at all. It's bark. <laughs> and and he assists in the development of a game called Tabula Rosa, which. Oh, um, I know what that is. That means your memory's gone. I, well. Actually, in this case, it meant that your profits were gone because it <laughs> because it did not perform well. Uh-oh. And shortly after NCSoft announces that they're going to shut down this this game, it's like an online, you know, it's it's Richard Garrett. It's an online game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man who coined MMORPG, of course. That's insane. He's the CEO at this point, by the way. <laughs> by the way, small tidbit. He is dismissed in 2008 while he's in Russian quarantine because he had recently been to space. Okay, so... We're gonna get to the space thing, don't worry. Was he just like, you know what? California's so dry. Yes, actually. Yeah, that's exactly what he was like. He was like, you know what? I wanna go to space. Too dry down here. Time to go to space. See what Mars is up to. Hi, Mars! Um, have, was this guy like Elon Musk's babysitter and was just like, Elon, Elon, I have some crazy ideas that I want to tell you about. Hey, Elon, did you know that we all live in a simulation? I'm going to ruin your psyche. Elon's in the back. I'm working on a car. <sighs> it's a good car, but it's somewhere. People have some. There's only one. I have a theory there's only one Tesla mobile. Okay. And I, I was thinking of comparable situations to this. Have you ever been? Oh, by the way, they did this over the phone. They dismissed they him. fired him over, the, over phone? the phone? Have you ever been broken up with over the phone? No. Neither have I, but I've heard that it sucks. Now, yeah. another question, follow-up question. Have you ever claimed that your ex forged a letter claiming that you dumped them because you wanted to pursue extensive fl- space flight? Yes. Wow. Is that weird? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I used to date Fox McCloud. You and you and Lord British should hang out sometime and swap, nah, swap breakup stories. I can't. I'm Barrister Australia. Because, uh... That was a good joke. Because while he's in, well, he, while he has just come back, an open letter, quote unquote, makes its way into the wider, you know, sphere. Yeah, a sphere of awareness, allegedly from uh, Lord British, saying, "Oh, I, I'm leaving NCSoft because I want to pursue uh, space flight. I want to pursue my lifelong dream of space flight." Hey, the boss wants to go up to space, so do we get Friday off? So. There, I, don't? I, I've searched high and low for confirmation whether or not this was forged. Real? Because Richard Garriott claims that it was forged. He's, he's, Wait, what? 
stop, hold on. Are you telling me that this company was like, hey, we gotta fire this guy, but we gotta make sure no one knows we fired him. Hey, what if he wanted to go to space? That is, that is- Dudley, you've done it. Exactly. That is, that's, like, exactly what they did. And you know why? Why? You know how we, we kind of know? Is because he sued the fucking shit out of him and won 28 million U.S. dollars. Yeah, really helped him out with the space travel. Uh, and then he turned into an old Scottish duck. Yeah, he... And would just dive in his money pit every morning. Charged them ba- basically with, like, stock option fraud. Like, saying, like, uh, like they opted... They forced him out. They claim that he left of his own accord, look at this letter, and he's like, yo, I didn't write that fucking letter. Also, they fired me over the phone while I was in space quarantine. Also, I didn't even want to go to space. This is like, I just watched Face Off last night. Oh my god, Face Off is such a good movie. It's incredible. It's watching John Travolta try to act like Nick Cage, and Nick Cage just try to be normal for a but little But you're bit. simultaneously watching Nick Cage begin his career as a crazy person because yeah. he's like, oh, this works. And this is John Travolta ruining any chance he has of, like, being considered great. Because he had just done Pulp Fiction and he had just done Get Shorty and people were like, oh, is he is he good again? And then this. <laughs> and then Battlefield Earth just cemented yeah. it. Oh, just man. the slam, the one-two punch of Battlefield Earth and uh, Face Off. Battlefield Earth is also an amazing movie. It's incredible. It's so fantastic. Cowboys and Aliens had a whole plot about aliens wanting gold, and I was like, this is just what Battle... This, you've just ripped off Battlefield Earth. And, that, then, and then in the new Independence Day did the same thing, except they just wanted lava. We'd give them lava. We have, like, an unlimited supply of lava. Right? Why don't we just make a trade... God damn it, Roland Emmerich. I can, e- I can I poke hate- holes so easily in his movies. I know, I hate Roland Emmerich. That's a lot of fish. I can't even, I can't, I can't even, like... Did you you like my my obscure Godzilla joke there? I've seen that movie eight times. Why? Because it was on FX all the time, and I was Oh, well, Tom, FX has the movies. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the movies are Independence Day, Hancock, and anything with Josh Harnett. And Cradle to the Grave starring DMX. Cradle to the Grave. Oh god. And and Triple X two with Ice Cube. Oh. Not fuck, even the yeah. good one. <laughs> Are you excited for the new Triple X? Yes. Dude, yes, the return of Xander Weatherspoon. Although apparently Dwayne so Dwayne The Rock Johnson posted a lengthy Facebook post about how some of his male co stars act like real bitches and awful candy asses on set of Fast and the Furious. And it turned out that he was talking about old Vinnie Pie. Really? So, I know. I don't want my bald, muscly men fighting. I want them hugging. Yeah, that bums me out. Vin always struck me as kind of like a cool dork. Right? You know, for... Okay, so... A little bit about me, listeners. Guardians of the Galaxy is maybe my favorite movie. Uh, So I know way too much about it. But for Groot, Vin Diesel would get what Groot... So Groot would have words. Like, he would be saying something in the script. Yeah. But... Vin Diesel so would do a different take for every single Groot and would try to say what Groot was saying. This was his idea. Because Marvel just was like, we can just get you saying it six times and use it throughout. And Vin Diesel was like, no, like, I'm an actor. I want, like, I'm I'm playing a character. This character can only say these three words and I want to, like, showcase that. Vin Diesel's a cute man and I want to hug him. So I hope these allegations are just either a huge miscommunication or just some good old-fashioned tomfoolery. Me-foolery. Yeah, 
Good old fashioned hey. you foolery. Not to not to bring it down, but apparently this would mean that Vin Diebel Vin Diebel. <laughs> Vin Diebel is, Vin is Diebel. when Vin Diesel is turned into a thumbkin from Spy Kids. Yeah. The, <laughs> there's an alternate universe where everyone can't move their bottom lip. I'm Vin Diebel. <laughs> um no, this would apparently mean that Vin Diesel is kind of a creepy creep towards ladies, mm. and that would that would that would deeply bum me out. Uh, like when I learned that Josh Groban is a creepy creep. You don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. He's the piano player, the crooner. Oh yeah, I know this guy. Yeah, so he's he likes to pick up women on Twitter. Ew. Like he DMs, he slides into their DMs. Sliding into DMs. No, what is this? Two thousand eight. I know. He's gross and creepy. I saw a blog post where this one woman was like, look at all this creepy shit Josh Groban has said to me. And then a bunch of other women started posting it too. Like, yeah, look at all this gross shit. Hey, fellas, stop being gross. Stop being gross. We did it, Tom. We saved the world. We did feminism. We solved uh, misogyny. I'd tackle racism next, but it is it is late at night, and I am getting sleepy. <laughs> Only one miracle a day, folks. All right, continue so that, your story yeah. that I keep interrupting. <laughs> so uh, he successfully sues, and then he leaves, and uh, and then he goes into space, and I'm not going to talk about the space part because you can read all about this. He's got his whole own website about it. He's done a lot of cool, crazy shit. Uh, he's like one of the few private citizens to go into space. Like, that's the stuff that everybody talks about. I'm going to talk about the thing that very few people have actually talked or written about. His superfluous third nipple. In my eyes, well, it has to do with his body. If the nipple was a benign tumor on his liver, then you would be correct. A tumor is the nipple of the liver, Tom. Yes. Uh, it's, it's... That's in Madonna's sex book. So, called Sex. In the process of of like vetting himself, vetting him to go into space, he has to go like in uh, mandatory medical. Wait, examination. so he wanted to go to space? I thought he didn't want. No, to he space. did want to go to space. He actually did want to go to space. It, it's it was like a lifelong dream of his. So the company just exploited it. Yes, that's exactly what they did. Cool North Korea software, NC Soft. It's called a it's called a hemangioma, and it's a very small benign tumor that's found in five to ten percent of all infants and it just stays with you for most of your life i think i, I actually, definitely have one now i actually think i have one on my um left thigh it's like slightly visible underneath the skin it's very small it's like maybe the size of your thumb knuckle or smaller i'll probably edit this out but i have a white bump on my testicles <laughs> so it's you, just always been there is it is it the scrotum you, i should say I had a weird lump in the tip of my dick for a very long time. That's an STD, Tom. And then it went away for no yeah. reason. That was a sexually transmitted disease you had, my friend. That wasn't a weird bump. I wonder who I had sex with when I was, like, in fourth grade, because I don't know where I would have gotten it. Uh... Obviously some pretty fly betches. You got the young Tom, the younger years. You were there. You were there for young Tom. You know I how was. much... You know how much pussy this kid was getting women in it we had to get him a kayak drowning in it oh my god he actually drowned one time and it was really scary oh yeah yeah that i died legally for two minutes legally he died from pussy uh asphyxiation when i was his pussy at age 10 in fourth grade yeah 
So, uh, and, and normally these tumors aren't a big deal because you can get them anywhere. They can be like on your skin, on your muscle. But the thing about your liver, we're about to get a little medical here, is your liver is a very vascular organ, which means that there's like a shit, like a lot of blood in it. Like a yeah. lot of blood yeah, yeah, in yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, the, it's a filter. Yeah. It's literally a blood filter. Yeah. And it goes, hey, you got all this crazy shit in your blood that's not supposed to be here. Let me yeah, take you got that out for you. Alcohol? Oh, what's this, cocaine? We got you. Papa's got you. Mm, mm. A little bit of that booger sugar, get it right, right in your brain. And and if you experience the the G force of a rocket launch, say, it can cause that that like tumor area because it's loose, it's different, it's a tear, and you can hemorrhage. And and if you like again, if you hemorrhage on your muscle, that's not like a big deal. People have like mild internal bleeding all the time. That's what bruises are. But if your liver hemorrhages, you're fucked. You're like yeah. in, in like on Earth, you're in major trouble. In yeah. space. Like in a rocket launch, you'll well, be I hear lucky. You in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, when no your one... liver hemorrhages. <laughs> uh, and and so you're just you're just fucking done. And so he decided to undergo uh, life threatening surgery. Well, on Earth to get this thing removed so he could. Oh, go... good. He didn't elect for the space surgery. He wasn't like, no, no. Yeah. Let's just I'll just do it. Float me that scalpel, dude. If you do surgery in space, you have to listen to do 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 do. Doot, 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 doot. Or Stanley Kubrick's ghost pisses on you every night. That's <laughs> um, a true story. And I'll tell you what happens in liver surgery is is because it's so vascular, you have to make really careful incisions. And no matter where you cut, like, blood is going to gush. Like, it's going to be a big deal. So you have to immediately cauterize the, the, the incisions. So it's this really delicate process of cut, burn, shut. Cut, burn, cut, cauterize. Like... In order to remove this this uh, this tumor or, or whatever ails your liver, um, and that's why liver surgery is a last resort. So he undergoes this surgery. He has a 16-inch scar on his body now, but he lived, and and he went into space, and and the rest is sort of history. He shot a, a film in space. Uh, called apogee of fear it's the first science fiction film ever shot in space uh he hung out with like cosmonauts he was the first to officiate a wedding in zero gravity yowza, yowza, um although that was on a plane much later and then he comes down and he gets back into game development now he's he has a new company called Portalarium, and uh, they're developing a spiritual successor to the Ultima series called Shroud of the Avatar Forsaken Virtues, and and there was a Kickstarter for that a while back. Who knows how it's going to be? And now, uh, you know, just because I, that's sort of that's sort of where the story ends, but I'm just going to read a list of his, quote, other accomplishments and interests off of Wikipedia here, because they're fucking nuts. Good. Gary acted as corner man for professional boxer and friend Jesus Chavez in his first huh? title defense against Eric Morales in 2004. He's what? an avid magician and magic collector, of course. What? Wait, appeared... a, like, a collector of magic? Yes. How do you collect magic? You kill people. You kill other magicians. What? Yes, you no. kill them and you take their wands. It's like Harry Potter shit. He built a That's haunted... not what happens in Harry Potter. He built... A... They go to school. <laughs> He built a haunted... Ha they go to school, 
It's a book about school. No, thank you. Uh, uh, Garriott built a haunted house museum at his residence called Britannia Manor. Uh, he promotes private space flight as vice chairman of the board of directors for space adventures. Jesus. Uh, performed that zero G wedding. He co-founded Planetary Power Incorporated. Uh, How big's this guy's hat rack? A fucking, it's it's like two stories. It's like a He's fireman's a man of many hats. Received an honorary doctorate of science from Queen Mary University of London in 2007. Uh, provided vocals for a track. <laughs> isn't an honorary doctorate just a school be like giving you something? Like, it's, isn't that it's, just a school be like, hey, you didn't go here, but what if you did? It's like when they make Meryl Streep like Madame Meryl Streep, and and it's it's just like it's just like a word. Drexel took away their honorary Bill Cosby doc- doctorates. Good. Uh. Boy, I'm bringing it down tonight. It's just dark fact after dark fact. And one final, and one final one of many is that he provided vocals on a track for uh, the Shooter Jennings album called Countack. What the fuck is that? Half those words aren't words. Wait, who's Shooter Jennings? Uh, I, I, you know what? I'm gonna look him up. Shooter. Oh boy. Jennings Countack. Contact for Giorgio is the seventh studio album by American outlaw country artist oh, Shooter shit. Jennings. And the the album cover is like some Far Cry Blood Dragon, like super 80s pink and purple neon shit. There's like a dragon holding an M4 machine gun. What? With, a, with like All a right. grenade launcher and an extended, like an extended like clip of flying above uh fighter jet there's a panther wearing what's the what's the album called what the fuck this is like if the never-ending story was cool yeah that's a luck dragon yeah from never-ending yeah. story yeah jesus and that's... are those shrooms in the back i think shooter jennings has gone too far <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, and that's that's the story. Is Richard Garriott is this really interesting man who went into space and underwent life-threatening liver surgery, which is fucking horrifying and terrible. So he could do it, and he's like incredibly important. And I, I was like, as I was researching him, I was just like constantly like blown away by what like the shit that this guy did. Yo, can I read you something? Please do. In 2012, Garriott was defrauded for $561,927 uh, $561, from a well-known magic shop wholesaler, Harvey Levi. Levi, who owned Hank Lee's Magic Factory in Med- Medford, Massachusetts, made 134 false transactions between 2009 and 2011 on Garriott's American Express card, and he was sentenced to two years in prison. Holy so shit. don't... Fuck with Richard Do not do it. He will come for you fast. He will come for you hard. And he will take your money. He literally killed a magician. He's killed a magician. He's killed a company. He is... thirsty for blood. Does not give a shit. He's a fucking savage. And he will wreck you. He's Dan Savage. Writer. I know. Extraordinaire. I know who Dan Savage is. Writer. Gay guy. Writer again, podcaster. Podcaster, yeah. So how'd the podcast go? I just ended up listing Dan Savage's many careers, I guess. So not good, not yeah. <laughs> not good. Awful, terrible, poorly, poorly. Anyone who listens to this is a big old stupid head. 
And we love them very much. We love them very Smooches much. Um, is that it? Yeah. Are we done? Yeah, I think so. I think we. Uh... Uh, it's always sad when we start when we stop. Mm. Do you have anything to plug? Um, I I'm still writing. I'm working on a video project about uh, the video game Inside that's gonna be released when it makes its way onto the Xbox One on the 23rd. So I, I guess be on the lookout for that. I will watch it because I I have no Xbox One to play Inside. It's a good game. It's all about marks. Groucho. Carl, actually. That's a callback to our pilot. Ugh. We we talk about Groucho and Carl. What? We say this podcast is like if Groucho Marx hung out with Carl Marx. That's what it is, yeah. That's lofty. <laughs> Imagine I... if you got two of the worst versions of each of those and maybe you're close. Yeah, like if Carl and Groucho... Uh, we're on a ton of heroin. Yeah, we're on a ton of heroin and we're just hanging out in a basement bullshitting to each other also in a k-hole yeah oh real real deep not that we're doing that but we're saying to get them to our level you would have to pump them full of heroin yes i mean yes i don't know if that's a compliment or not and coffee i've been i've been shitting all day (laughs) anyways yeah i do another podcast uh so i cheat on you (laughs) with another guy i knew Uh, it i knew there was another podcast yeah, uh, I do a podcast called the Shmanime Podcast. Uh, it's very near and dear to my heart. It's the fir- po- first podcast I've ever done. And I we have so many episodes stored on my computer, and I just refuse to edit and put them out because I'm a lazy bones. <laughs> but we have 14 episodes out, and the gist is I, Liam Sr., uh, hate anime a lot, kind of. And my friend, good friend Eric really likes it. And he shows me some, and he tries to review it, and then I try to derail the conversation and talk about poop, mostly. Uh, so yeah, if you like how weird and audience. stupid I get... Oh yeah, that's me, like a German porn looker. Um, if you like my idiocy uh, and want to watch me sometimes lose my mind, because the stuff we watch is awful and doesn't make sense, the Schmanime podcast, S-H-M anime and then i also make videos with boys night video we're at boys night video on youtube watch it oh okay uh no i that's that never mind that's 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 not a thing yep (laughs) i i'll edit this out but i write for uh one of my school's publications, and the whole thing is we're anonymous about it, so I'm not gonna plug it. But if you want to see very NYU specific stuff, Washington Square Local on Facebook is sometimes funny. Not really though. This won't even make this. This will the last like two minutes will be edited. Uh, yeah, but that's it. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for listening. Yeah, sorry we got tired at the end, but uh, it's, it's late, and I don't care. Yeah. Uh, do you remember what our sign-off is now? No, I don't. Uh, you came up with I it. I remember. What's our theme song? It is, it is, I'll Be There For You by Friends. So, so what's our, that's, no, I mean, that technically that is right, oh. but it's not what the song or the band is called, but that's okay. Uh... So, do you remember what the sign-off is? Is it, I'll be there for you? 
It's will be there for you. Will be there for you. Hey, hey, podcast listeners, just remember, we'll be there for you. There we go. When the rain starts to pour. Oh, boy. Mm. <laughs> We're going to get so sued by NBC. Oh, for sure. <laughs>